This is the Serrano Brothers Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Serrano Brothers Podcast. Today, we have on our show, Regina Banks. Oh, this is going to be so exciting. Uh, Regina is the director of the Lutheran Office of Public Policy in California, for California. Is that is that how you, how you would say that? In California, I have colleagues uh, in other parts of the country that make sure I say the California part because there are other LOPPs. <laughs> oh, is there, does every state have an LOPP? No, not every state. So, um, hi, hi everyone. Um, I am the director of the Lutheran Office of Public Policy, California. It is a state public policy office of the ELCA. And there are four fully fully ELCA state public policy offices. So I am an employee of the churchwide organization. My headquarters is in Chicago. My computer comes from them, all of that. And so California, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, they are all fully ELCA. Then we have several state public policy offices that are uh, embedded into synods. So uh, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, and the Southeastern Synod all have state public policy offices, but those directors are synod employees. And then we've got another dozen or so organizations that are interfaith or ecumenical organizations that through ELCA World Hunger supports in whole or in part. And so if you are in Texas, Florida, Virginia, Kansas, Washington State, then you go to those interfaith or ecumenical organizations. So it's a nice mix of the way that we come to the work. Um, but there are, a, there are, those are the other LOPPs, but there are, it's Lutheran Office of Public Policy, Wisconsin as well. So I have a, a colleague who makes sure that I say the California because Wisconsin is in there. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, let, let's back up a little bit. Um, uh, how did you get to be the director of Lutheran Office of Public Policy and, and, and kind of what led you up to this kind of work? I wake up daily asking myself that very same question. <laughs> um, I am the first, usually when people ask me that question, they ask me um, whether I grew up what Lutheran, whether I am Lutheran now. I am Lutheran now, but I did not grow up Lutheran. Um, I went to a historically black college at Lincoln University in Jefferson City, Missouri. And that was such a transformational uh, experience for me that going to a a, a institution of higher education that controlled for helped me to engage with a part of my identity in a way that I could not have done in some other way. So when I was getting ready to go to law school, I said, I wanna do that again. What's another identity that I can explore? If there was such a thing as an all women's law school, I would have done that. There's not. Um, so I'm like, okay, another way of doing it is to con- is to engage with my faith. So I said, what what are the law schools that have a, a, a faith component? And I got my heart set on Notre Dame. I was going to go to Notre Dame. It was going to happen. Notre Dame is in, is in South Bend, Indiana um, from Missouri and California is my home. And so I was going to go, did the LSAT, got my grades and everything together. And I get a phone call from a recruiter at Valparaiso University. Valparaiso is a pan-Lutheran institution in um, Northwest Indiana. 
And they said, if you are a woman with the black woman with these grades from California, who's willing to come to Indiana, uh, let Notre Dame pay for you to come out and see the campus and then drive over to South, uh, drive over to, to Valpo and see us. And I'm like, that's cheeky, but like, sure. But I still have my heart set on Notre Dame, right? So I go and I see it and it's a nice campus and people are really kind to me. And I, I established that I can get a good education there. And then uh, I got the packages, the financial aid packages from each of the schools. And Notre Dame was going to give me like a single scholarship that would have covered like a book. Um, and Valpo gave me full tuition, room, board, books, like everything, pay nothing, come here, we want you. And my father sat me down and he said, honey, I love you very much and I will always support you emotionally. Um, but if you turn down all this money, like financially, you're on your own. <laughs> and did you receive that wisdom? Yes. Wisdom. <laughs> Spirit speaks through. <laughs> so I went to Valpo and it was, it was the very best, um, it was the very best decision that I could have made. So hmm. skip ahead. I'm I'm working in in the legal field. Uh, I always did want to do public policy. I wanted to do advocacy. I was doing that. I kind of fiddled around and ended up at uh, Davis Law School. I was the law clinic coordinator at UC Davis. And lovely human people, if they happen to see this, great. I, it wasn't the place for me. I was not enjoying that gig. Um, and so I put my resume, different words from my resume in with job into Google and was just like coming up with, with jobs. I had no idea that LOPP existed. I hadn't, I really had no functional idea that the ELCA existed. Although my scholarship came from the ELCA, it just, it kind of, it wove itself into the law school. So I knew that they were there. They just weren't a part of my life. Um, and I came up with the job description that is this job. And I'm like, oh, this could be cool. But I just needed a job at that point, right? So you're just applying to a bunch of things. Um, and then I get a phone call from uh, from John Johnson, who ultimately be did become my supervisor. And he said, look, um, we've seen your resume. We see your reputation. We want to talk to you. But it's going to take us two and a half, three weeks over the Thanksgiving holiday. This is 2018. Over the, the Thanksgiving holiday um, for us to get it together. Can you hold out that long for an interview? And I'm like, sure, whatever. And in that two and a half weeks, I read every social statement and said every social message that existed to prepare for that interview. And I became Lutheran then. Mm. became an ELCA Lutheran then. Um, and long story short, I got I got the role. It's been exactly what I needed and what I needed to be doing in that time. But um, I was recruited. I was converted. I was convinced by the social statements and social messages. So like that is that is my testimony for the ELCA. For this wow. you, you said you didn't grow up uh, Lutheran. Uh, what Was there a faith tradition that you did grow up in, a denomination or a-, a... I am a good AME girl, African Methodist Episcopal uh, Church. My cool. dad calls himself a recovering Catholic. So we didn't like, that's what he did. But my, my mother's family and our extended family were AME. I did AME in undergrad. Um, I'm, I'm a, 
I'm engaging now with how much of that do I miss? How much of it do I need? How often do I need to to hear that that music and that liturgy of my youth? Um, so yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Uh, do you, um, sorry, I'm looking at the questions. Uh, can you go, okay. So LOPP in California, what, uh, how long has it been around here? Like how long, like what's the history of LOPP, uh, in, especially in California? LOPP predates the ELCA. Um, oh. LOPP came um, with the ALC. It's not the oldest, Pennsylvania is the oldest, but it's the second or third oldest state public policy office. And it's gone through many iterations, but it was one of the, I, I read this like a couple of months ago, it was one of the um, agreements it, that, that was a part of the ELCA. If you're gonna take us, you're gonna take our state public policy office as well, which I like, I find that to be very um, interesting and exciting. And it has changed with the the times of California. It has changed with the, the passion projects of the directors, but it is, has always been funded by world hunger. And so every, as I, I'm, I'm in my office here at St. John's Lutheran Church in, in Sacramento, California, which is where um, we've been housed all of that time, I believe. Um, and I've got history surrounding me of what previous directors have done, but what the, the through line is, is hunger. Um, when I make a presentation about our budget, when I make a presentation about what LOPP has accomplished in the previous year and what we want to accomplish in the year to come, I need to be able to make a good faith um, argument about how it affects people and hunger. So that's the through line here in California. That's really and cool. I think that's so important. Um, uh, we at, at um, Good Shepherd here in Concord, um, are, we are laser focused on feeding the hungry. And, and I can tell you that our, the amount of food that we're giving out has doubled in the last six months. And, and, and it is a, it's, it's a problem. I mean, and, and we're seeing it uh, in the amount of clients and new clients that we are getting on a regular basis here. Thank you so much for the work that you do. I've I've heard about that not not just from you, but from your your clients and in your community. It is it is a well known and respected ministry. Thank you for that. When I talk to congregations who have those kinds of ministries, those kinds of feeding ministries, I ask them to think just one more step out. Please, why? like why? Yeah. What, what are the conditions in your community that make feeding, what has, what has happened in the last six months? Housing costs have gone up in the last six months. Mm. Inflation has gone up in the last six months. We are gearing up for an election cycle. That has happened in the last six months. There are a host of things that happen that trickle down is the wrong term, but influence and impact um, people's access to food and food security. And it is my role to help congregations and ministries think about that and think, 
what can we do about the root causes of home hunger such that we can work ourselves out of a job? I, I, I believe you don't want to be doing that. You're doing it because you have to. And, mm -hmm. and I appreciate that. What can we all do together that puts us out of the feeding work? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that's, that's my role. That's what I, what I help uh, people to do and help people to engage. So what is the, so what does your job look like then? Like you're engaging with congregations, you're engaging with with uh, the state. Like walk us through kind of your your job. Yeah. So there are two big pieces. Well, there's two and a half big pieces of my job. So the first part of my job is to engage with the California state legislature. So I have social statements, social teachings in hand, and I know what it is that the ELCA says that it believes, what our congregations says that it say that they believe about social justice and social ministry. And so I look at the California state legislature, I look at the executive branch, mostly it's the legislative branch, but it's some executive branch and some local. Um, and I say, what policies, this is like just straight up legislative advocacy, which policies best live into those social statements and social teachings. On some level, you're you're trusting me that I that I understand those social statements and teachings well. Um, I engage with alliances, um, California Interfaith Coalition, Building the California Dream Alliance, Green California, um, et cetera, et cetera, um, to influence the state legislature. That's that's the first part. The second part is engaging with our congregations synods here in California to explain to them what it is that I just did. <laughs> um, having the conversation back with them that says, we've got these new tools or this uh, tax incentive has just been um, has just been passed. Um, we've just made it so that the um, earned income tax credit is lower so that when you're engaging, um, is the earned income tax credit is higher and it requires a lower threshold to participate. So when you're engaging with people who are at your feeding ministries and they're like, I just need another $500. Oh, have you filed your taxes yet? There's this new, so like giving you that information so that you can pass that along to your congregations. And the, I said two and then said two and a half. The other half is that I'm a churchwide employee. And so translating what the California legislature is doing, what our synods and congregations in California are doing back to the churchwide organization, such that our social statements and social teachings reflect what it is that we're doing with them. I've, I've been in those several of those conversations. Hmm. Um, working with our service and justice colleagues, um, helping to influence what we are looking for in world hunger grantees, because We've got that experience here as well. So it is multifaceted. Uh, I have not in in the roughly five years that I've been in this gig, I don't believe I've had the same day twice. I certainly haven't had it two days in a row. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it is my highest and best use. I cannot imagine having done done anything else. It, it sounds like an exciting job. <laughs> it is. I mean, I say that with a, a little tongue in cheek because some of it is like reading arcane tax policy and like right, being, right. being in the, the legislature, uh, you know, a, a hearing that's supposed to start at 1030 that starts at 515 and like that's your day because <laughs> we're all at the speed of government around here. But 
I love it. I really do. And then, you know, I get to add, I have always been a church nerd. I am a church nerd girl. And so when I get ready to report back to congregations about what I'm doing, when I report back to synods about what I'm doing, I'm doing it in church. Mm, It's like I get to do it like at coffee hour between services when I come to visit congregations. Side note, I have yet to be invited to either of your congregations. So actually, that was my next question for for you. I'm a parish pastor. We we, uh, you know, I I, you have always kind of been around and so is the LOPP, but I I wasn't ever really sure what what y'all did and and how you represented our, our church we're laser focused on, on, you know, feeding people. How, how can I, as a parish pastor and, and, you know, as a proxy for all other parish pastors listening to this, how can I um, be more connected to your office and, and the work that you're doing so that I can elevate my people's vision to root cause mitigation rather than just being on the on the front lines great question so the the two times that the probably probably the easiest way to access what we do here at LOPP if you're not already tapped in We'll get to the things that you can do if you're already once once we get you hooked into advocacy, there's some other things that you can do. But if you're not already tapped in twice a year, we do something that um, could be, should be, we hope is valuable to all of our congregations. And that is here in California, we have a really robust proposition Um regime. Like you can get on the ballot in California with all kinds of different issues that we as voters hope, you know, those of us who are have the, the privilege of being able to vote in the United States and in California, um, special interests, and I, I use that term without pejorative, not pejorative at all, but um, special interests get their issue on the ballot. And then we as voters get to decide how we feel about that. And it's often really confusing. It's often like paragraphs and paragraphs worth of information that we're not thinking about on a daily basis. Millions of dollars is invested in trying to persuade us one way or another. And we just don't have a framework of how to work on it. And every year when we have ballot measures come up, LOPP does a voter guide and our voter guide is straight off of our social statements and social teachings. When we give a suggested yes or a suggested no it is suggested yes and here's the page number and paragraph of the social statement that says that is that is why we are saying yes or no and we're not in the ballot booth with you we can't control what it is that you do with your vote do as you will but people of goodwill who have studied the social statements and social teachings live here in California and care have looked at it. And this is where we go with that information. So we do that every time um, that there is a, an election that has those ballot measures on it. Similarly, at the end of the year, at the end of the legislative session. So in California, the legislature is a two-year legislature and it ends at the, at the end of September, the end of October, depending on, the, the year. Um, and then all of the bills that passed, we give an update 
not on every bill that went through the legislature, because there's all over 2000 of them, but of the bills that we have been studying, we say, this is, these are the bills that we've been studying. This is why here are the social statements and social teachings that gave, that gave us ground to be paying attention to them. Here's how they ended up. And here are the legislators who were for and against them. You all are about to be able to vote for, I mean, at, at the end of the two years, you're about to be able to vote to keep them or not. Here's what, we, again, we're not in the ballot booth with you, um, but here, here's what, here's what happened from our, from our common ELCA Lutheran perspective. And I have heard for the last five years that that is the most valuable thing that we are able to do for our, our California folks. If you don't know what it is that I do every day in the legislature, if it would take too long for me to explain it to you, if you don't care, if you've got other things to worry about, those two things, at best it's twice a year, you can engage with us to do that. That end of year wrap up is coming up on November 1st. So um, I'd be more than happy to share with you the link that um, is up on our, our website. Join us, um, low lift, just listen to what it is that we've been doing and listen to who has been supporting us and who we have yet to convince. Uh, and then next year when we've got ballot measures, you can be on the lookout for that. And is there anything... Um, uh, um, legally that I need to be aware of? Can I, or can I just share this information with my congregation? It, you can just share the information with your congregation. So I am, I'm not even registered as a lobbyist. I have refused to register as a lob lobbyist for the ELCA. I'm the director of policy. I'm here to help direct your efforts. Um, you don't want me in the legislature full-time doing that. And even if you did, I'm a church-wide employee. If 100% of my time were spent lobbying, it still is compared to all of the rest of the time of every other church-wide employee, you're, you're, you're fine. And in terms of, um, you're not, what I just be careful, you're not telling people how to vote. Your church is not telling you how to vote. Right. I don't care. Right. I'm giving you information about bills that have passed and our social statements and social teachings. And as long as you frame it from there, okay. um, you're, you're good to go. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and it seems, it seems like a really good thing that, that the way you do it is just, we've already come out with social statements, right? It's not like you're reinventing anything. You're an interpreter, it seems like, of putting these things together, right? Is that, that's what that it is, seems like. You, that is 100% right. It, it saves me a lot of uh, so first of all, it saves me a whole lot of time. The social statements and teachings have been written. When I get ready to write a letter to the legislature or to the governor, I literally cut and paste. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm inventing nothing. Um, and when I when I do have a close question about, you know, is this is this bill? It's usually not the, when the bill is introduced. It's usually when the bill is amended to mm -hmm. soften it some kind of way, or you know. To, to garner, I'm like, is this still on our, I've got policy council members from all three synods. Um, uh, bishop David Nagler from Pacifica Synod is our bishop um, representative to the policy council. I say, this is, this is the position we took. This is the way it's been amended. Are we still with, where are we now? And mm -hmm. I get feedback um, from lay men, lay people, rostered people, bishops, um, ethicists, 
I'm not, I'm not inventing this. I'm not, I'm not telling, I'm, I'm just copy and pasting most of the time. So, yeah. So, so does, so it does, I'll ask this question. So do you, um, when, when legislation comes out, are you ever advocating for like this really, we really want you to put this on the, on the, the ballot. We, we, cause we care about well, hunger, you know, or do you allow the, like how, what's the interplay there? Uh, is there ever a time where you're like, we really need to deal with hunger in this way. And you tell your representative that, or. So it has not happened for ballot measures. Ballot measures okay. are, their, are their own animal. And I'm not saying that we never would at LOPP. I'm just saying that there is enough other work that we don't have to split our time that way. So if the big thing comes along and they say, we we just cannot move this ballot measure without LOPP's co-sponsorship, will you do it? Sure, let's have that conversation. But it hasn't it hasn't come up. What has happened most recently, and thank you for formulating the question that will allow me to brag on our our, our policy council here um, right now, is the I believe, and my policy council agrees with me, that the moral issue in California of our time is housing and homelessness. Yeah. When you talk about what is a driver of food food insecurity, those people who are housing secure are doing it at 50, 60, 70% of their income, which means that something else has got to give. And the thing that typically gives is food. Um, and then if you don't have that money to put into rent, then you end up housing insecure. And that is due to a host of reasons in California. And so for the last three years, LOPP has been working on what can, not just what can Californians do, but what can faith community Californians do? Like, where is our special niche in this? Mm. And our special niche often as faith communities writ large, but as ELCA congregations in particular, is that we are land rich. Yep. Several of our con congregations are sitting on valuable land alone or sitting on valuable land and they've got like a 50 acre parking lot that's ex ex being extreme but um and so and we're not alone in that our uh, uh, our episcopal siblings our presbyterian siblings our jewish siblings are in in a, a lot of the same position so just this year after several years of advocating we passed sb4 so senate bill 4 we are we're organizational co-sponsors you did this i did this we did this together um, it would allow us to build 100% affordable housing on faith, faith on faith lands and nonprofit colleges and universities. Um, looking at you, California Lutheran, um, and independent of how those areas are zoned. Now, of course, there are still rules. You would have to still um, meet building requirements, but that's huge. When I talk to congregations about what is it that you see around you that you would like to be able to address housing, what's stopping you? Can't get can't get permit to do it. Can't get zoned to do it. We're zoned uh, commercial. We're, we're zoned mm. mixed use and we just were not able to do it. Gotcha. We gotcha. And that mm. was just signed two weeks, uh, two weeks ago by Governor Newsom. Party is on Wednesday uh, in San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that kind of thing, when it is 
clearly, squarely in our social statements and, and, and teachings, but is, if not us, will not get done. Mm. Then that is our, our value add to our congregations because we've given them this tool and to our, our siblings in California who are waiting for some, some moral authority and waiting for some, some moral action to come from their faith-based uh, neighbors. And this is where LOPP comes in. And can I ask a question about housing and, and uh, why is housing so much in California right now? Why has it increased exponentially? I, I, I live in a pretty, um, I, I I feel like I live in a pretty middle class neighborhood, you know. Um, but when I got here, houses were like nine hundred thousand dollars, and now houses are over two point five million dollars. So even though they, to me, they look like normal kind of middle class houses, they they are so much money that that it's like it it, it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, it makes no sense to me. Uh, why are why is this happening in California? Do, is are you can you can you we, have, do, we haven't built the housing stock? So there's there's two pieces. I mean, like like any other like economics one hundred and one. There's supply and demand, right? So if you artificially keep supply low, then values go up, and we have done that for decades in California. Hmm. Um, and I'm not I'm not even suggesting that there are any um, malicious actors, just self-interested ones, right? So if I if I build into that vacant land, uh, if I build in, on that vacant land, then we're going to have to put infrastructure there. Um, we're going to have to build a school there. My taxes are going to go up to build that house over there. Why would I do that? Because A, it's going to lower my my property value because more supply means my property value goes down and my taxes are going to go up in order to put the infrastructure over there. That's, that doesn't, that doesn't check. Um, and the person who was without a home because we didn't build over there isn't in my face every day or wasn't in my face every day until they were right. Um, so there's that one piece and then if there is a bad actor, just a, for, for Regina, I'm now not speaking for LOPP. I'm just, I'm here and I'm seeing the thing. If there is a bad actor, we have institutional investors. So I, your family has, has a home. I have a home. My, my family have homes and we are all struggling to pay the bills, struggling to pay the mortgages on that home, but we're living in it. So we're making a community of that place where we're struggling to build that. And that has been the American dream until 20-ish years ago when we have institutional investors who've decided that um, homes are a good investment. And so we build 200 houses, and then we take 190 of them off the market immediately and make them rentals at an exorbitant rate. Hmm. And now that is <laughs> that is the thing that is is happening in California. And we are pricing, um, we are pricing most everybody out of our markets. And incidentally, it's also locking us middle class and and even upper middle class you can't move because even if i were to sell my home i'd have to buy a house. i'd have to get a home somewhere 
And I can't afford to do that. So my social mobility has been impacted by California's refusal to build housing and to um, ensure that those who are buying the houses intend to make a life in those houses as opposed to make uh, a profit. And and, it, and it's also um, uh, affecting the calls, at least in the Sierra Pacific Synod, because unless the pastor is is already wealthy, they yes. cannot take calls where their pay is so low that they can't afford anywhere unless the church has a parsonage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I have heard that over and over again. And yeah, I mean, that is, that is part of the struggle that this uh, that this church is going to face, is facing now, is going to continue to face uh, until the housing stock is such that we can re reassess um, what, what being housing poor means in California. So I do not envy um, any congregations that are right now, especially anybody that's trying to pull a new graduate from the Midwest, from the South, it, like from anywhere, Right. If you don't if you don't already live here and own. It's it, yeah, I I find it to be really interesting in my my town of San Carlos that um you know I hear I hear a couple sides of it and and one of them is it's a it's a little town. There are places that we could definitely build, but there's not a great infrastructure to get in and out of San Carlos. It's a it's basically a little two-lane road to get in and out. And so the concern here is that if you uh I heard someone say stack and pack, you know, you know, is is you know, it's it's gonna utterly um just change the character of the town, which is an interesting thing to say. But also, um, I see the, you know, I see that it's like, yeah, there's only two lanes to get in. And if you put 500 apartments in a place where you could easily go, that's going to really mess with, with all the infrastructure here, you know? Um, but at the same time, there are no people that can afford to work, uh, at McDonald's, Starbucks. Right. There's like every every shop in San Carlos has a hiring sign on it right yeah. now. And and there and 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 it's not like I think the in and out by me, which is just like three blocks down, I think they're starting off like at $23 an hour, you know? Like, holy cow. To me, I go quarter three bucks an hour. That's good money right there, you know? And 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 yet they it's constant, you know, because people, but but you can't afford a four thousand dollar apartment or at like you could you even on twenty three dollars an hour you know like so it's it it seems so complicated uh, and 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 at the same time it it also seems very uh, like we need more housing we just need to put we need to put more housing on we, you know we um, need more housing it I mean it even changes the nature of adulthood. Right. So um, if if adulthood is is living alone, which. Don't don't get me started on on that, that isn't right. But but if adulthood is living alone, but you can't afford to live without four roommates, and then am I I'm, I'm 42 years old. Am I an adult yet? Like if like in order to live near enough to my home, um, in order to to feel like I have reached 
maturity. Um, and then I can complicate it even further because an, an, a big area that we work on at LOPP uh, is environmental, right? Mm. So if you, if you build, which we should build, build everywhere, build what you can, build. Um, but if we build on wetlands, if we build on, on land that is unfit for, uh, for habitation, if we build on land that burns every two years, um, we've already got uh, home, home insurance agencies that refuse to issue policies in California because California burns every two years. And, and with climate change, that's going to continue to be a concern. At, at, should we be rebuilding in paradise? Yes, build everywhere, but should we be building in paradise? I mean, like that, those are the kinds of issues that mm. we encounter um, every day. Um, from a, a, I hope from a faithful perspective here yeah. at LPP, but there are no, <laughs> there are no right answers here. I have not gotten it all figured out. We are we are just a a part of our ELCA community and ecology that has agreed to struggle with the questions together. That's all. <laughs> so um, what do you do when when people? Um, I mean, the ELCA is diverse. California is diverse. You know, uh, from the central valley to like san francisco they might have different values in what they faithful values that they might be advocating for like uh is there have you ever received any kind of like uh like pushback or like hey we don't want you to advocate for this thing because this particular region wants to advocate for this other thing i i i, I don't know <laughs> do you know what i'm asking i i know exactly what you're asking um, it usually doesn't come packaged like that. It usually mm -hmm. comes packaged as there's a separation of church and state and you should, and our church should stay out of the state. Mm. And huh. for, for better or for worse, I have learned how to hear that, accept that and, and leave it to the side. Cause for me, that feels like somebody who is not engaging with what is, um, real and actual in in this situation. The ELCA through the social statements and teachings, which are intended to be used for our, our state public policy offices, um, our ELCA advocacy in Washington, DC, my home office in Washington, DC, um, the so the um, presiding bishop when she goes to 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 speak on on Capitol Hill when she engages with with her um with her peers in, in other denominations using those same. So I, the person that says the church shouldn't be at, shouldn't be advocating in the public square for me has misunderstood, has lost the plot. Um, I try to, I try to say that as uh, kindly and as faithfully as I know how. Um, yeah. The other way that it happens is um, about two years ago, we were working on a workers' rights bill, um, and I got it was never it was never shouted, but it was always like, hey, "Regina, come over, you know, come over here." Did you know that the bill that you're advocating for right now, um, ELCA Lutherans are not. Uh, agricultural workers, they're landowners, like in this scenario, 
you're advocating against ELCA people, not against their faith, but against the people. Like they are wineries, mm. they are uh, grape growers, they are um, orchard owners, and you're advocating for their employees. Do you realize that you're doing that? And I did, I, when, when I first started, no, I didn't. And once I found out that doesn't change the fact that, that those in those workers deserve to have water in the fields, deserve to have lunch breaks. I mean, like no, knowing that it was our people didn't change the truth of the matter. Um, and, you know, do those people now not support what LOPP does? Maybe I haven't noticed. Hmm. But but shouldn't we want our employers to treat our employees as well as possible in the name of Jesus, who calls <laughs> us to side with them? Like, that make, <laughs> that's maddening to me <laughs> that, that anybody would say that there's an us versus them in that. It, it, it's a it's a us for each other in this us for each other what what i mean in that situation and i'm it, this was all i thought about at the time and i haven't thought about it in a minute what was wild to me at the time is these were the employees the the, the field workers who literally grew the grapes that made the wine that we use for communion Oof. come on now come Oof. on <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that, oh, that, oh. <laughs> All right, we, we've been going about an hour. Um, uh, I, I want you to to talk about um, Lutheran Lobby Day. Can you tell us about that? And and let's close out with Lutheran Lobby sure. Day. So Lutheran Lobby Day is um, your opportunity to come to Sacramento and um, advocate, actually do the physical lobbying. So uh, 364 days a year, a year, I'm willing to do that um, for you and to tell you about it. But on one day of year, Lutheran Lobby Day, you come to Sacramento and you do it um, and experience that for your, for, for your own. Um, I am going to hesitate to give the date this year, but typically it is the Wednesday before the Friday that is the House of Origin deadline. So, you know, the legislature has its own uh, rhythms and having previously worked there, I kind of know that the times that are best. So if we wanna be able to hit them hard and have a, a, an ask, it is get this bill through its House of Origin, um, which has been roughly mid-May. It is after our, our Easter season. So, you know, pastors are are able to make it if they can. I, My policy council has been working on me for five years to get it to not be on a Wednesday, but like, that's the, that's the day. That's the day, guys. You got to come in and do it on the day. Um, but it is always a ton of fun. Um, this year, two of the four bills that we advocated for. One of them was SB4, another one was was an environmental bill that we worked on. Two of the four got signed by the governor, which in, in our business, a 50% uptake, a 50% uh, passage rate is like unheard of. Nobody gets that. That's, we, we put four hoping one would get through and we'd be able to like have something to say. Um, all of our, our bishops from California make a, a um, a point of being here, their uh, rostered leaders. This year, um, Bishop Brenda, Brenda Boss of Southwest California Synod um, completely underwrote the entire 
all of lobby day. So it was free to everyone. We're working on, on ways to um, continue that ministry. Um, so it is, it is the most, the most fun I get to have at work. It, it really, it really is. And every year, somebody for whom it is their very, very first time ever doing a lobby day. Um, you know, I, I have literally done hundreds of these because this is my gig. I like, this is what I enjoy doing. So this is, this is my hobby. I've done hundreds, but every year uh, somebody comes and says, oh my God, that, that was so much easier than I thought it would be. I'm like, yeah. 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 And I'm not in those meetings with you again. Like the, the one thing you'll hear me say again and again is your church is not telling you how to vote. Your church is not telling you how to, 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 to speak to your legislators. I'm giving you information and I'm making an appointment for you. Now, in that appointment, you can talk about your dog spot if you want to. That is your relationship. Um, but we're giving you the information. We're making the appointment for you. And we make it fun and accessible. And please plan to join us. I be- it'll probably be next May, the exact date. You'll have to stay tuned. So what exactly yeah. happens on a Lutheran Lobby Day? So we, so in, in, in previous years, you'll come in early that day. And we will have policy council. Um, we have a new ledge coordinator uh, who was our hunger advocacy fellow and she did such a great job that we hired her full time. Um, we go through the 2000 bills that are moving in the California legislature and we say, what do what do we wanna work on? What, do, what will our advocates uh, resonate with? What do we wanna be talking about? And we do a deep dive in on that. And so people come in, we pray together, we worship together briefly, abbreviated. Um, and then we give you that information. And, and we tell you, you know, this bill will change food labeling so that um, so that we have a better understanding of whether the food that we're buying um, is expired or will expire soon and what the price of it will be and whether it's safe to give in our um, uh food pantries. That was one of the bills that we worked on this last year. Um, Then here's your appointments. You've got four appointments. Usually they're with your legislators and then somebody that's near you, but not always, but, um, and then we say, here, here is, here are some tactics that tend to work. Hi, my name is Regina Banks. I'm with the Lutheran Office of Public Policy, California. We would love it if you would, if you would um, vote for this bill as it comes across your desk, either right now or it will come across your desk um, next month. Um, our social teachings tell us this, that, and the other. Um, may we pray with you? Almost all of the offices will say yes. Um, we take a picture. You're in and out of that meeting in 25 minutes. Wow. Okay. okay. Yeah. Very cool. I had no idea. I, I've heard <laughs> of Lutheran Lobby Day and I, I had no idea. What, that's really cool. It is really cool it is fun i it has happened that they first of all it is one of our um it is one of the biggest evangelical opportunities that we have may we pray with you yes we may oh you you've got a a congregation that is in uh davis california yeah we do we'd be more than happy to have you our our worship service is at 10 o'clock in the morning let us know that you're you're coming. We'll make sure that you feel welcome. That's 
literally evangelism that we need to be working on here. Um, it is relationship building. Hey, we've got a uh, public forum that we've been looking for a location to have. How how, how big is your sanctuary? Oh, our sanctuary uh, seats 400. We'd be happy to have you on a Tuesday night. That has happened out of a Lutheran lobby day. I mean, it is community building in your community. Uh, again, yeah. I'm not in, I, I, I equip you for the meetings, but I'm not in those with you. So it is about you building that relationship with the legislators and their staffs who represent you. Um, yeah. All right. And we, and we want to give you the final word before we ask our 10, our, our rapid questions. Um, is there anything else you want us to know? Any, for all of our listeners, any, you got, this is your time. I want to, I want to thank you both for this podcast. Um, the expanse of this synod and and by extension the expanse of the state i have the hardest part of my gig is not explaining you know the not justifying my existence in in the space it is physically getting from congregation to congregation getting mm. from from san francisco to la from reading to san diego that is hard and connecting these areas and in even within Sierra Pacific Synod alone I mean we sit on so much land that can now be used for housing uh, but we sit on so much land it makes it hard hard for us to know one another and know what it is that we're doing and I think a lot of us would connect um, with the ministries that are going on in our in our neighboring areas and with our our fellow ministers if we knew it was happening mm -hmm. <laughs> we knew what was going on and so this is just another way that we are able to do that and i just i i thank you and i i, I praise god for your for this part of of your ministry so thank you for having me well thank you thank you for that um all right so 10 questions for you um regina which food can you eat every day hey. hmm. what's your favorite movie genre Political th thriller. Salty, sweet, or savory? Sweet. In, in addition to the Bible, because uh, most religious people say the Bible, pastors included, um, which book would you want with you on a deserted island? Where the sidewalk ends. Uh, is that Shel Silverstein, right? Shel Silverstein, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. What fills your cup? Tea. But, uh, my my niece and my nephew their their little voices their little voices are so cool <laughs> and what depletes your cup bureaucracy mm. what's your favorite holy place The mountains. Mountains. What was one piece of good advice that you've been given? Sleep on it. What does rest look like for you? Unclear. <laughs> <What's that? laughs> and on that last day when you enter heaven, what do you hope that God will say to you? Well done, my good and faithful servant. 
Regina Banks, thank you so much for being on uh, the Serrano Brothers podcast. Everybody, thanks for listening.